from Luke chapter 21 verses uh, 5 through 19. You may find it on your pew Bible um, on page 85 in the New Testament section if you like to, to read along uh, with us. It, this is the um, second to last week of the second to last Sunday to the end of the Christian calendar year. So we are, the Christian calendar year is coming to an end, so therefore we find ourselves at the end of the Gospels. Um, the Advent begins a new calendar year for the Christians. And so um, we are here with Jesus in the temple with his disciples, and they are talking about the, the temple. Um, and Jesus is talking about what's going to happen in his last uh, week of his life. And not only that, what can they expect uh, beyond that? I invite you now to listen to God's word. Again, it comes from Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adored with beautiful stones and gifts of dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, and all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, then will this, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name. And they say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. And then he said to them, a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and, and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. And they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But not... A hair on your head will perish. By your, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Two pastors were standing beside the road uh, one day holding up a large homemade sign that said, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. A car approached, a driver rolled down the window and began yelling, Take a hike, you religious nuts, before speeding off down the road. A few seconds later, at the sound of a screeching of tires and a giant splash, one of the pastors looked over to the other and said, Do you think instead we should have just written, The bridge is out? <laughs> religious people are notorious for pointing to the end of times. There's the sign of Israel being regenerated, restored, and regathered. They point to the book of Daniel and speak of increased travel and knowledge as a sign. 
or suggest that climate change and all that it brings, weather's unpredictability, the severity of natural disasters, and the earth getting warmer and warmer all point to Jesus' second coming. And not to mention pandemics, nuclear war conversations, and Bible translations. All the translations, they say, suggest the Great Commission is complete. Everywhere we turn, someone wants to point that the end times are near, even beyond religious circles. From the last year's Great Recession to the 2020's quiet quitting, it seems ambition is lost. People are given up and wondering if this is all. And I think, I think they're right. Not about the giving up part, but by the, about the end of times. In our passage this morning, Jesus suggests as much himself, mentioning three signs, the false messiah and false calculations of times, wars and international conflicts, and natural disasters with cosmic terror. What Jesus is saying is that when the world is coming to an end, it will not just affect Israel, but all nations. And not just all nations, but the entire cosmos. <clears throat> and then after going through this litany of things to come, after telling the disciples that the temple is about to fall, notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, you better get yourself right with God. Nor does he say, here's a three-step prayer. Pray with me. He doesn't even ask, do you know where you're going when everything goes to an end? Instead, Jesus says, don't worry about the signs. God will worry about them. For you, for the church, the most important thing to do is to bear witness. I wonder, I wonder what it looked like in the year 2022 for the church to take on such a task as bearing witness. I think, I think it begins with the church changing her question. Over the past 30 years, and especially over the last three years, we've been pled with the, the same question. Question. It has been one that comes from well-meaning place. Often it comes with a tear in our eye, but it's been proven to have been the wrong question. Instead of asking, what do we do to get folks back to church? Presbyterian pastor Adam Borneman suggests the church ask, what's the Holy Spirit doing in people's lives in our community and how do we come alongside that? If we start with bearing witness with such a daring question, be prepared, Jesus says. Be prepared to encounter suffering. Jesus warns the disciples that they will be persecuted. 
What Jesus is saying is to them and to us is that those who love God so much that they don't care who knows or how much it costs or how unpopular it makes them or how much it endangers their lives, this is a faith worth following. This is a faith that follows through. The implications of Christ's love to the very end, a faith that does not duck the logic of the gospel, a faith that never tires. Even in the face of hostility. Or when the world is ready to give up. Even when it gets messy. And acquires vulnerability and sight. If we change our question. To how do we come alongside our community. It would mean that Jesus will take us to the suffering next door. Invite us in. Ask us to stay and bear witness. Lori Anderson, in her young adult novel, Winter Girls, tells about Leah, a teenage struggling with anorexia, with her parents dealing with a divorce, and her best friend gone. Leah's struggles go unnoticed by those who walk beside her every single day. Even though her body mass gradually begins to waste her way and she comes up with reasons to miss out, out at dinner time at home or to skip on the cafeteria at school, her family and her teachers and her friends avoid seeing her pain because pain comes with uncertainty. Suffering suggests end of times. Because there are not quick solutions to suffering, Leah's life is messy. Her troubles are messy. All the people in her life, all the people who surround her each day, and no one saw her. They don't see her, and therefore cannot show her the infectious mercy our community desires. And without mercy, there's no one there to help her. No mercy, no connection, no connection, no care, no care, no hope, no hope, no joy. Earlier this month, the American Psychological Association released a study recommending that every adult in the United States under the age of 65 should be scanned for anxiety disorders. And adults of any age should be checked for depression. The study went on to say that more than 30% of the adults having symptoms of anxiety disorder or depression last summer. I wonder how many people within our community are facing the same symptoms. I wonder how many feel as if these are the signs that their end is near. I wonder how many of us can relate. I wonder, what it would look like for the church to not run from suffering, but to encounter it and ask, how do we come alongside you? I would imagine changing the question to how do we come alongside our community would require us to get pretty good at improv, 
Jesus tells his disciples to make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and wisdom. This improvisation that Jesus calls us to, for most of us, is scary. It's scary because we like to be in control. It's scary because we think we need to be clever. It's scary because we can't imagine not preparing. And this is where most of us get it wrong about improvisation. Improv does not mean we have to be clever or that it must come from within or we wing it without preparation. Actually, just the opposite on all accounts. Improv, especially with what Jesus means, that it never only comes from within. Or has anything at all to do about being clever, nor is it about getting it right in some predetermined way. Instead, improv relies always on full participation. Improv relies on the phrase, yes and. Martin Sanders, a pastor, producer, and an improv actor, argues that improv, the, the maximum of yes and, is a bedrock. That is, whatever a fellow player offers, I will acknowledge his truth and then add to it. It's not automatic agreement. It's not, that's, that automatic agreement is codependency. That's not trust. Rather, the goal is to say yes to the truth of the offer. For example, a player pretends to hand me a baby. If I change that baby to a bowling, alley, bowling ball, I deny the truth of the scene. I've undercut any trust that player might have in me. On the other hand, if I accept that baby as fact, then I can add a detail that deepens the scene. What a beautiful baby. <laughs> what a horrendous baby. It creates mutual trust which leads to collaborative discovery and eventually will lead to beautiful risks. This yes and is a parable of our faith. We're commanded to love our neighbors. That is our yes. Not a reflective agreement with whatever they say or do. With this, yes, there is still conflict. With this, yes, there is still different opinions over carpet colors or how the temperature we keep in the sanctuary or politics or theology. Instead, yes affirms something greater. This yes affirms another's image of God. The end implies movement that would change us by encountering, even when there's conflict. The initial yes of God's love and then the and that deepens the relationship when the church seeks to take this initiative to live this kind of, of mutual, mutual reality will build trust, we'll discover, and we will move alongside our sisters and brothers beyond these walls with faithful risks. And Jesus says that we can do this without even saying a word.
Because in reality, our words, the words we say, the words we sing, don't matter a whole lot. If we're serious about walking with Jesus, about coming along our side, our community, our transformation, the transformation of the community is not relying on our words. Jesus says it's relying on the act of doing, the act of following the one whom we believe to be God in bodily form. Our faith becomes real. Our wholeness becomes real. Our transformation becomes real when this is embodied. I think this is why Jesus goes through this litany of horrid events. What Jesus is reminding us that life on this side of heaven is often made up of unfortunate incidents. These incidents are not God's punishment, nor are they God's will to, to mark some end of times. These events are from the acts of people by all of us within this world. And if we want to be a vital church in the 21st century, if we want to be a vital church within Harnett County, then we must change the question. And for the church, changing the question begins in this room. It's in this room that we have become prepared for improv. It's in this room that we come and practice each week. It's in this room where we learn to be vulnerable with one another and with God, where the Holy Spirit teaches us how to recognize our suffering and the suffering of others. It's in this room where we learn to connect and to care with one another so that we are prepared to connect and care with others out there. It's in this room where we learn to recognize the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and hope, the joy of the kingdom of God. If we are not coming to worship together, if we are not opening up scripture and reading it together in smaller groups, then how we recognize the joy of the kingdom of God? How will we be able to differ from false witnesses from the kingdom of God? How will we be able to, to point to, to God's hope and joy amongst all the suffering of this world? How will we be able to point to God's love? In a world of self-indulgence and scarcity, how we survive speaking about the abundant love that goes beyond our individual selves and that's available for all. How will we have a story to offer other than the end of time tale that this world so cheap, cheaply exploits? And how else we be prepared to navigate within these two spaces of suffering and joy?
To be a Christian in the 21st century is to improvise between these two spaces. The spaces of walking along the suffering of the world and the joy of God's kingdom. Put this in Easter terms. The suffering we encounter is the cross, uh, the joy, the resurrection. And the space in between is our home on earth. It represents the, the pathos from the, the some that say that the end of times are coming and the joy that we call our heavenly home is in this space where we will find Jesus. What would it mean for the church to change her question? It means that the closer we get to suffering, the closer then that we get to the kingdom of God, or the closer we get to the cross, the closer we get to the resurrection. And for those of us who find ourselves closer to the cross this morning than to the resurrection, we are not alone. In this room, in this space, it is safe to say so. Find someone and tell them. And for those of us who find themselves closer to the resurrection than to the cross, we are happy for you. Now find someone who is not. And don't worry if you don't think you're prepared. You are not alone. Sit with that person. God has been preparing you for your entire life. It is time. It is time for the church. It is time for us to stop limiting the gospel to just a part of the gospel, the suffering of the end times or the joy within the kingdom of God. For it is time for the church to accept and to live the whole gospel, to dwell between the suffering and the joy where the cross meets the resurrection. This is where we meet Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what it means to live it. And if we even try just to do that, if we just try to dwell there as a church, then without even realizing it, the question will change. And we'll find ourselves walking alongside God, one another, in our community. Amen.